Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for May 29th, 2018. I'm Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I will be your host, and I'm joined in studio, as always, by 538's Kyle Wagner. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Neil. And also on the line from Chicago, our fellow 538 sports writer and co-podcaster, Chris Herring. Hey, Chris. What's going on, man? No, not much. Uh, how, how you hanging in there? Chris, uh, of course, wrote, uh, stayed up all night writing a recap for the game, and now he is braving the podcast uh, this morning, and then hopefully he'll get some well-earned sleep. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all had to do this. We're we're in this together, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll suck it up and not complain. I've already complained before the podcast. So I don't need to complain more. It's more noble of pursuit than uh, staying up all night arguing on uh, group text and Twitter. That's, uh, uh, about the NBA, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, so about the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah same yeah. exact thing. Uh, and that is probably exactly what we're going to talk about on the show today. We're going to talk about how we now have two teams left, and they are the same exact two teams that we've had in the NBA Finals for four straight seasons now. That's the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. But before we get to our Finals preview, let's talk about how both Conference Final Series ended and what went wrong for the two teams that the Cavs and the Warriors beat. Uh, and let's start with the Western Conference because it's fresh on the mind. The Houston Rockets seemed in total control during the early stages of both Game 6. They led by 17 after one quarter and Game 7, which they led by 15 with about five minutes left in the second. And yet in each game, the Warriors managed to storm back in the third quarter. They outscored the Rockets by a total of 66-31 to 31 during those third quarters in the two games. And the Rockets specifically went ice cold shooting in these games. So, guys, what the heck happened to Houston during the second halves and down the stretch of these two uh, potential closeout games? I mean, yesterday it was really clear They're, they had already kind of started this before the half, but they um, they, they went ice cold. And I, it's so funny. I, I I've been as I've been jumping back into work, I've been trying to do this and write, but also to grade my students' papers. I took them to a WNBA game last week uh, to do reporting and, the, you know, to talk to professional athletes. And after the game, the sky, the Chicago sky lost by like 20. And one of my students just kept quoting coaches and players saying, we just missed shots. We just missed shots. And I told them that's like the most cliche thing you can say and write in a story. Don't do that. Don't let them off the hook by saying we missed shots. This Rockets game last night though, I mean, granted the Warriors obviously won it. You know, they, they, they came back and they started scoring and they, their offense looked more like what we're used to seeing from them. But the Rockets, in a lot of cases, just missed shots. And I, I think there are some variables there around that. They're tired. You know, they, they had a really, really short rotation. Uh, the guy that they're relying on to create offense for them is, is dead tired and, you know, shot poorly for the last part of the series. And, you know, he, I think you could look at the fact that they weren't getting foul calls. And so maybe they're more reluctant to go to the basket since they really weren't blowing the whistle after a while. For them, uh, James Harden drove 21 times the game before and didn't get any free throws out of it the last game. So, I mean, in a lot of cases, they just missed shots, but also the Warriors started to look a lot more like the Warriors. I think they outscored the Rockets by 10, just Steph and Durant alone in that third quarter. And by that point, you just kind of felt like that was game. The Rockets just had had too long of a drought and a really, really ill-timed drought, and it just killed them. So, I mean, so much of that, though, is not just entirely dependent on outcomes, though. You can have a short rotation and not play seven guys, and the seventh guy plays 13 minutes or, or whatever in, in, the la- in the previous two games. You can rely on the three-pointer, and at some point while missing 21 straight decide, okay, even if we're not getting shots, 
uh, even if we're not getting calls, we got to go to the basket. Even if, even if this thing that like we've been doing, we expect to work. Uh, the number in your piece today, which was very good, uh, but the number in the piece of uh, expecting uh, to to miss that many shots in a row as you know a team like that is one in seventy two thousand. And I don't think if like I held you to the fire that you would say that we live in that one universe in seventy two thousands of them that were just happened to go this way. It's a dependent variable. Like we we know we understand that uh and the Chris Paul injury obviously comes into this, but the short rotation we might uh, suggest might have something to do with playing 80 minutes for Chris Paul of playoff intensity over the previous two games right before that injury might have something to do with a hamstring injury of all injuries. So saying that these things are just, oh yeah, it's, it's, it is just missing shots. That does feel like letting them off the hook because the, the sh- incredibly short rotation that we saw in this game wasn't a necessity because you can go to Ryan Anderson when you're panicking. You can go, jo- go to Joe Johnson when you're panicking and find some minutes to rest players so that like, which is, here's another cliche. When you're tired, your jumper's off. You don't have the legs to shoot. So, so yeah, I feel like this is a thing where just a lot of the coverage I'm seeing is people saying, Oh yeah, it's just missing shots. Oh yeah, the, it's the Rockets. They had to take these shots. No, they didn't. <laughs> like there were there were lanes to the basket. Still, <laughs> there were still lanes to the basket. Like the, the 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 prevailing notion seems to be: what did you want them to try? Something that something else? <laughs> something that was like you know not profoundly failing? So no, I don't I don't I don't I don't think I buy. Like oh yeah, this is just uh, them missing shots that they were just you know compelled to take. It wasn't like twenty seven straight coin flips coming up tails or something like that, which I think uh, you know sometimes we have the tendency to treat shooting streaks like this. Uh, but uh, guys, is there also some kind of certain cruel irony that the most three point heavy team in the history of the NBA, the first team ever to take more than half of its shots from three point land during the regular season, was ultimately undone by one of the worst, if not the worst, shooting droughts in league history? Is there something to that? That is it a coincidence that that happened, or is it sort of a deeper meaning that if you do rely on the three this much and you do play such a short rotation and rely so much on a few people, you know, taking those shots that might have tired legs. This is sort of the thing that might, a risk that might happen to you that maybe the numbers haven't foreseen before this. So for me, the risk is a few things. And it's not just the reliance on the three. It is rely, it's, it's not even over reliance on the three. It's stubbornness. And Mike D'Antoni, as we know, is one of the most like profoundly stubborn coaches in like that we've seen in the past, uh, several years. But at the same time, it's, it's not the over-reliance on the few players. It's the over-reliance on just only playing the few players. I mean, at a certain level, it is, uh, at a, at a, at a high level, it is hilarious that the, the team that shoots the most threes, uh, ever, uh, goes down in just really breathtaking wreckage by, by missing all of its threes. But, but there's, there's an underlying just like stubbornness and like, refusal to do anything else that that goes along with it much more than the threes themselves yeah i mean i, I think one thing to, to take into account again like i said I, I don't think any of us would be wedded to this number and saying that you know um that the, the likelihood of this sort of thing happening it, you know it, we could say it's seventy two thousand one in seventy two thousand uh we'll, we'll probably never ever see that happen again with a professional team unless we put you know maybe we have a scab league where we, they hire children to replace um, the Rockets or something like that. But one thing to keep in mind here, uh, two things maybe, because of the, the, the shortened rotation and the guys that were out of the rotation that would normally be there, Chris Paul 
a very, very good three-point shooter. And also, like Kyle was saying, someone that if he wasn't able to hit threes, which we've seen him have a, a game or two like that in the series, is more than happy to go inside and, and chuck for mid-range or to try to get a better shot. Um, Luke Mbamute was hurt this series and, and found himself out of the rotation at times during the series because he couldn't finish layoffs. You could tell there's still something wrong with his shoulder. Um, he's a pretty decent shooter and a, a 3 and D player in this league. And like Kyle said, Ryan Anderson, a guy that is probably, you know, when you consider where he shoots from and his reputation in terms of how tight uh, defenders will stay attached to his hip, was someone that wasn't even playing in this series that they did try to roll out there yesterday. And so it is a team that shoots a lot of threes. It's a good three-point shooting team. But when you start taking away all these guys that help make you that, um, and then, you know, you realize that the Warriors present so many different challenges because of, even if you've got good shooters, can your good shooters defend? Because if they can't, then are you going to be able to play those good shooters? And that's exactly what we saw with Ryan Anderson. They did try to roll him out there. He actually was helpful in some ways on offense. They immediately were able to attack the basket when he was on the court. But on the flip side of that, he was only on the court for eight minutes, and the Warriors outscored them by 12 points in those eight minutes he was on the court. Steph almost broke Ryan Anderson's leg with a crossover and shook him really bad. But, I mean, the Warriors are just the Warriors. You're good at one thing, and the Warriors can make you pay for it in some way. If you want to try to uh, accentuate your best qualities, the Warriors generally have another quality or two that can kind of knock you out with that. Right. The counterfactual of just play more guys is is easier said than done against the Warriors, obviously. So, yeah, yeah right. like the, the shortened rotation is a problem. But, like, the, that you found enough players to play even once Chris went out to to kind of make these games anyway. And so it seems to me that, yeah, like, it's not as dire if you can, you know, run out to this lead with, you know, Chris out of the game. Uh, and you might have been able to find minutes uh, while he was still in there. The other thing is, like, yeah, we have been, you know, talking around the point the, uh, and Zach Lowe tweeted about this also, and, you know, every, everyone seems to be, you know, getting to this at the very end, as we are. The Rockets were up 3-2, and then Chris Paul got hurt. Like, their second-best player got hurt and didn't play in the final two games. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, that that has a, you know, profound impact on, you know, how the how that's going to shake out. So this wasn't, like, a preordained thing where the Rockets were always going to fall apart. Like, no, I think that Chris would have had, like, a really big impact on that 0-for-21 streak where... Yeah, at some point you have to think that a point guard like him would say, "Oh yeah, we have to we have to do something else. We have to like run this pick and roll and like Capella just run at the rim. I'm going to find you. I'm going to put a pocket pass right on you and just dunk or try." Like so so yeah, that, those are the the kind of things that in the moment it's tough to it's tough to blame, you know, players to just, you know, continuing to do what has been successful, but and like we'll talk about this with the Celtics also. Uh, th- that's the kind of thing that with experience in, in those situations, you like to think that players and coaches would be able to say, oh, no, 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 no. This is the thing that we've been doing, but like clearly something is going on and let's, let's figure out something else. Let's figure out like a way to put ourselves in better position here. Okay, so looking forward, even though the Rockets did lose this series, and like you said, uh, like both of you said, it probably would have been pretty different had Chris Paul played uh, in the last two games of the series. Did, did the Rockets, though, when they were winning these games and when they were taking the 3-2 lead and, and when they looked at their best, did they at least kind of create a proof of concept that the Warriors, really all season, not just in those games, that the Warriors are not as unbeatable as sometimes we think that they are, uh, and, and like you said, Kyle, that it wasn't as faded, even though we 
did end up with the same matchup that we've gotten every single year in the NBA Finals. This year was a little bit different, if, if not a lot different, uh, in terms of how competitive the league was relative to the supposedly unbeatable Warriors team. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, they had already proven the concept by going up 3-2, regardless of how the last two games played out. I think we were... I was afraid, and I mean, you go back to our podcast from last week, I think a lot of us kind of said this series is probably over after after they were able to go up uh, 2-1 in the first place. So I, I, I'm at least happy that, you know, it makes me feel a little bit better that we can at least hold out hope that the Warriors haven't ruined the NBA. Some people would say they have, uh, regardless of how this series played out. But I think at least we saw they can be beaten. It takes heaven and earth to do it. I think Iguodala is a much bigger piece of that team than we realize. Not to say that they ever have the right to lose without him. But, you know, their offense looks really shaky without him at times. Their defense doesn't really have the horses all the time. And, you know, Durant, we didn't talk about this, and maybe we'll talk about for part of the final stuff, but he was just getting manhandled on the board yesterday in a way that, you know, you don't really see that happen with Iguodala. You definitely don't see it happen with Draymond Green. Uh, and so for him to kind of play the rim protection role. But the, the team has flaws. Um, when you force them to make a decision about whose team is it, and Durant is kind of running the show and Steph just stands there, Steph defers, you can, you can hang around and beat them. Uh, and I think the other thing, the Rockets deserve a ton of credit for playing much, much better defense and going out and getting guys to play really good defense. And so it can be done, but, um, you know, I think they, they honestly were probably at least even – and maybe they were better than the Warriors this year. It's tough to say that they weren't because Chris Paul wasn't there. And all day long, I'm going to say that the Chris Paul injury is a bigger deal than Iguodala. Even for Iguodala missing, what was it, four games in the series? Not having Chris Paul for two games, especially when you've got a chance to close out the series, I think is a bigger deal, especially for that team. So I feel like it's more along the lines of the Warriors show that they showed proof of concept of the Warriors are beatable than the, anything the Rockets did. And the Rockets did, to be fair, a, a significant amount of things. The Rockets had, you know, a profoundly good offense that they, uh, we talked about before the, the series began that Clint Capella putting downward pressure on, on that defense on top of what was going on with, uh, with Harden. That, that was big for them that, uh, they did play much better defense uh, in the second half of this series, and a lot of that owes to the shorter rotation. Harden made a game effort, especially um, on that end, where he just wasn't just a pushover. He was he was making second efforts, third efforts, getting back into plays and affecting plays, causing turnovers uh, from their weakest defensive position. So yeah, yeah, they they did things, but also they only were in position to do those things because Durant didn't look like himself for large portions of this series, as Chris just said. But it wasn't just like getting manhandled on the boards a lot of times, and it wasn't just a couple bad shooting games. There were stretches of that of the first half in that game seven where he was kind of the worst player on the floor. He wasn't giving you anything on defense. He was not hustling back. He was uh, just taking bad shots when he was taking a shot, and that on top of Draymond on for you know long long stretches not looking like Draymond on defense and you know, kind of not being involved on offense uh and you know Iguodala's continued absence where it was uh last night or this morning uh he got a second opinion and it's still uncertain like they don't know when they can expect him back with that many holes in the lineup where 
uh, this isn't as deep of a team. Like, yes, they can, you have names that you recognize, whatever, but like the, where they're relying on their points, where they're relying on their production, this isn't the 2015 Warriors. Like, this is a more top heavy squad, obviously, for obvious reasons. Uh, that said, I'm not sure the Cavs are the team to, you know, kind of make good on that. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, before we get a chance to talk about the finals matchup, though, let's just briefly talk about the Boston Celtics, uh, who were also eliminated in seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and it was pretty similar to the Rockets in some ways. They went into game six with a chance to end LeBron James's final streak, and they led early in the second quarter. Then Cleveland went on a run that basically put the game away. And then at home in game seven, they were, they seemed unbeatable there up until this game. They also led by 12 with nine minutes left in the second. And then Cleveland made up the difference and then outlasted them down the stretch to lock up a fourth straight conference title. So guys, wh- what did you make of the Celtics effort in those games? It seemed like it was sort of similar in the, in the case that you could say, well, their shooting just let them down in that game. Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier went three for 22 from three in the game. As a team, they went three for 20, uh, in the second half of the game. And it was uh, almost like a little like the Rockets in terms of you just go cold at the worst possible time. And you might be able to make the case that both conference championships were basically decided by a really, really poorly timed cold streak or set of cold streaks by teams that had been winning 3-2 in their series. But what did you guys make of that? I thought it was more than a little like the the Rockets where it's the same thing. You, you You're prosecuting the old adage of you know shooters keep shooting and the the underlying premise there is that shooters will begin to shoot to their average that that the underlying expectation is that a 40% shooter uh it should expect to make about 40% of his shots and if you keep doing it over and over you will eventually get back to that thing but within a single game uh and over the course of a season over the course of a career yes that should be that should be true as long as you know nothing mechanical nothing underlying changes in the course of a game like this is a thing where we talk about the hot hand all the time and the hot hand as far as we can tell is real but you know selection goes into that whatever going cold is also real like this is a thing that players talk about all the time and there's this kind of first first cut analytics idea i don't even know if it's an analytics idea of just oh just keep shooting just like whatever instead of uh like go to the rim like this is what the john starks principle i think John Starks just kept shooting. He he could not be stopped from <laughs> just continuing 11. to shoot. But yeah, like Terry Rozier at the end of that game is the perfect example. Uh, the the Celtics are de- desperately trying to you know get get a quick score, get back, get, get another quick score. Has a layup, has a lane to the basket, demurs. Has another lane to the basket, demurs. Steps back and takes a three when he's zero for nine at that point from three. And you can't expect that your your expect your expected value on that is thirty three percent even. Like no, like just go get your layup, which is something that like both these teams just refuse to do. And you can like, you can excuse it a little more with the with the Celtics because they're such a young team, and having that kind of situational awareness might not be there yet. But it's the same thing of just expecting the the outcome that you've seen all season when everything that you've seen in the situation uh, is telling you maybe not to expect that. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how long we're going to stay on the, the Celtics, but one thing that stood out to me that I, you know, and I, it's weird because you feel as if you don't want to just find new things to praise LeBron for, but I know at a certain point of that game I was watching and I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, if I'm Cleveland, I'm probably feeling impatient. A fan where LeBron is scoring the way he's scoring or the way he scored this whole postseason, I'm feeling pretty good about just saying, all right, man, look, I know you're tired, 
I know you have to be exhausted. He played all 48 of that game. You know, I thought it was, uh, you know, you look at the interview he does with Doris Burke and he's lying on the ground and has to get up off the ground in the locker room while everyone else is like the, the little hen and all the, all the animals that didn't want to help her cook the bread. And then all of a sudden they're all enjoying the trophy and LeBron is lying there on the floor, dead, tired, exhausted. I would have been okay with him, you know, if I'm a Cleveland fan, just saying take this whole thing completely on your back and just put us on your shoulders because nobody's hitting shots. Nobody was making shots early. Corver was missing everything. Uh, obviously, Love was out. JR was missing everything. Green was missing everything. Nobody could hit a doggone thing. And LeBron still was making the right pass, still was making the right pass. And I just kept thinking to myself, wow, you know, I wonder if this is going to work out for him because he's putting this game in his teammates' hands. And then over the course of the game, they started to hit shots at the end, and Boston just went so cold. And it's, it's just crazy to see that rewarded. And it makes me wonder, if LeBron had just decided to keep going to the basket and keep trying to score himself, he probably could have ended up with 45 or 50 that night. I don't know if they would have won that way. Um, he would have tired himself out more. Maybe he can't make that block at the end on Rozier. Um, but it's just incredible. That, that, that actually stood out to me almost more than the, the drought. Because, like Kyle said, at some level, you almost expect these guys to show their age at some point. They really didn't until that game seven. I just think, like we were saying before, just really ill-timed cold streaks because these teams can play better than that. They have played better than that, especially the Celtics at home. You know, they they basically look like the Warriors when they're playing at home. But uh, a rough way to end their season. But, man, like, I, you know, I've thought all season that the Sixers were the team to beat going forward for the next few years in the East, especially if LeBron leaves. You know, Celtics, it's hard to not feel like they're that team now. Uh, you know, I, I think they have to figure out how to keep all these guys happy within their roles, but uh, but that's a, a hell of a team. And I think, I don't remember what you guys said, I, I thought they were going to miss the playoffs after Gordon Hayward got hurt. So I'm kind of amazed at what they did, especially after losing Kyrie as well. Yeah, we were sort of down on them even before Hayward got hurt, uh, going into the year just based on the statistical projections. And so to lose, uh, their two, you know, star players and still be able to make it within a late run of going to the NBA finals was really amazing. And I liked what you said, Chris, about LeBron in this game, because I do think that that is sort of the story of his whole career. It's kind of the testament to the type of player that he is, that he does, he makes the correct basketball decision as much as anyone in, in the history of the game has done uh, and he doesn't stop trusting his teammates even in situations where he knows he'll be criticized you know no matter what he does and so I think it spoke volumes to the type of player that LeBron is and sort of it was a legacy building moment on top of just the fact that he dragged a team to the NBA finals and, and went to an eighth straight NBA finals which is just ridiculous the one thing that has evolved with LeBron and you know making those decisions is that he's uh, kind of thumb the scale on what this, the right basketball play is. Like early in the career, passing to Daniel Marshall is the go-to example. That was the right play, sure. But at this point in his career, in game six, the right play is taking a step back jumper with, you know, <laughs> Jason Tatum draped all right. over him beca- from 30 feet out because he hits that shot so reliably that he, in like his estimation, it's not just him taking, you know, a hero shot. He's saying, Oh no, I'm, enormous and strong and like this is like shooting a 15 footer for a lot of people this is a correct shot to to take yeah 
twice in a row. He's expanded his own repertoire so much. And we even ran a story earlier this season about how basically the best sort of deep three point shooter or step back, pull up, whatever you want to call it, three point shooter in the league this year is no longer Steph Curry. It's actually LeBron James, which is mind boggling. Uh, okay, so let's leave the two teams that lost in the conference finals there and move on to the NBA finals. Cavs versus Warriors part four. Okay, so for the fourth consecutive season, it's the same NBA Finals matchup, Golden State Warriors versus Cleveland Cavaliers. The Warriors have won two of the previous three meetings, including last year's five-game, you know, pretty much uh, smooth sailing for the Warriors in that one. Uh, and Golden State opens this series as massive favorites, according to Las Vegas Sportsbooks. They have an implied win probability of about 89%. According to ESPN's David Purdom, that is the most lopsided finals in at least 16 seasons. Guys, does that number feel right to you uh and and as a related question what chance do the Cavs have to win why should this year be any different than it was last year when like we said it, it was pretty much the Warriors from from wire to wire uh, uh they they just showed how dominant they were I mean the only way I, I see it is maybe not being legitimate that sort of high number where we're coming almost a 90 percent probability of winning I think if Steph were to get hurt or something, I mean, I, I think at this point, even if he did, uh, a team with Durant running the show uh, could probably do pretty well against this Cleveland team just because, um, look, you're playing against Boston. You may not need to have a top-line defense to stop Boston. You still need one to beat Golden State. Uh, and, I mean, that was what Houston just did. Houston held the Warriors under – um, 100 points several times in that series. I don't know that Cleveland can do that. And that's with Steph, without Steph, but with everybody there, even if Iggy is out, I think Iggy is a pretty big loss for that team. Um, I just don't like the chances here. I, I just don't, you know, maybe George Hill uh, and, you know, at times Tristan, but defensively, I just don't really trust enough guys on that unit. There's certain guys that's going to be really tough to play them. You want to run somebody like, uh, I mean, they'll get Kevin Love back, too, which will be helpful, I guess, but I just don't see it. And you want to hype it up. You want to feel as if there's a shot. But last year, it felt like they were kind of lucky to even get the one game. They had that crazy game where they had every shot that they were making um, to get game. Was it game four or game three that they won? Uh, Yeah, I I just don't see it this time. I mean, I I would love to, to have a different opinion on this, but it's part of the reason I think a lot of us aren't all that excited with it is just, you know, it's like the, the first movie is good. The sequel sometimes is better than the first, but it's rare. But how many times do you get into a situation where the fourth version of that movie is your favorite? I just don't think that'll be the case. And I think, you know, the challenges that Houston was able to kind of force Golden State to have, I don't think that the Cavs are going to have the same way about it at all. Well, I mean, we need to wait for next year for the Fast and the Furious uh kind of reference there so yeah, yeah, yeah. but but otherwise yes this is, fair yeah this fair. is four calves four warriors uh and and if anything i mean these calves are worse than last year's pretty hands down i mean they don't have Kyrie irving and a lot of the people that sort of eventually fell out of that failed isaiah thomas trade have done next to nothing in the playoffs uh even the ones that have performed uh are either in the case of george hills just sort of wildly up and down depending on the game or or with Larry Nance, it's like come in, make a few, you know, nice plays for a handful of minutes, but not really, you know, be counted on to play that big of a role. I mean, so I also think that it's uh, it's probably pretty close to this uh, implied, you know, ninety percent or so uh, 
thing, except that I have lingering questions about like the, the status of a lot of the players. Like, I don't know what's going on with Kevin Durant, like why he's looking like this for, for long stretches. Is it just that he's bored? I don't, I don't think in a seven game series you're going to be bored. Is it just that like he, there's something going on with, uh, him and Steph and like whose team is it? Like it doesn't seem like that from, from the stories that are coming out, but you know, maybe, but something's clearly going on there. Um, Steph's numbers since he's come back uh, have been good, especially in this Houston series. Um, his numbers have been very good. He had the the plus forty one game. He had uh, you know the the Steph quarters, but he's also had really quiet quarters and halves and games um, by by his standards. And if that's a thing, and not always just because you know the offense wasn't flowing to him, sometimes they were really trying to get him going. Sometimes he was you know trying to take guys off the bounce and just couldn't make it happen. And if these are things that, you know, can pile up after, you know, a playoff run and all of a sudden they show up and like, you know, Iguodala is out and someone gets hurt, not maybe not even just Curry, just just someone in the rotation, as we saw when Clay was out for for a little bit of time, uh, all of a sudden they look uh, they look vulnerable because Draymond has not been consistent this year. KD ha- wasn't consistent in this past series, at least. And if it's a question of if it's still an MCL bothering Steph, if it's, you know, something else. Uh, there, there's enough in the air where I can see, a, you know, a, a world where the Cavs get, and I, that's all that, all that, all that is to say, I can see a world where the Cavs get two. I've, I've got it as a sweep, but I mean, you know, I, I think part of that is just me being, uh, stubborn to some extent because I, so ESPN, they, they let me, uh, do these predictions and projections with the rest of their, uh, NBA crew. And you, you know, people screenshot this whenever a big upset happens. You take the Pelicans being the Blazers and, and winning that series in a sweep. Um, and I think I had the series going seven, but the Blazers winning it. And so I start thinking about it. I'm like, you know, no one ever remembers the person that picks, you know, the series in five or in six. You're going to go that far with it and be that extreme with it to where you basically don't think it'll be a competitive series anyway. Just pick the sweep. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I mean, I, I think LeBron is capable of having that kind of otherworldly performance more than once in this series, but that's what it takes now. I mean, we just watched LeBron have a 40-point triple-double in game two of the Celtics series and still not win that game. I, you know, and I think that the Warriors are a better team than the Celtics. I, I also think that the, the Celtics would have probably given the Warriors a little bit more of a series just because they can actually force the Warriors to really work on offense for shots. That's kind of where I was at here. I was that guy that wanted to see LeBron make the finals because of the entertainment value and because it's LeBron. But I was also that guy thinking that the Celtics would present more of a challenge in the finals. Just Maybe not because they'd win a game, but because they would push the Warriors the same way they did in the regular season to make the game really competitive. And maybe they steal a game or two that way. But I don't, you know, if the Celtics get more, I'm sorry, if the Cavs get more than one game in the series, I'll be a little bit surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough to pick against LeBron as like a general rule, but uh, it does seem like this might be his toughest mountain to climb. Certainly this is his worst group of, you know, supporting teammates, his worst supporting cast. Uh, according to basketball references, box plus minus, at least in the playoffs, uh, I ran the numbers the other day and this was worse even than the 2007 Cavs of Zdrina Silgauskas and Booby Gibson. And I think that also matches up with the Vegas odds, which are much worse for this year than they were even in 2007 against the Spurs. Uh, but guys, is there something that maybe the Cavs could 
adopt from the way Houston played the Warriors that uh, almost worked to help them unseat the champs that maybe the Cavs can sort of, you know, learn from and, and use themselves? Um, to a point, they can use the Capella uh, kind of strategy, but uh, Tristan Thompson's a very different player than Capella. Capella gets the ball up really quickly. Tristan has always been really slow to get the ball out of his hands. He has to gather a lot of times. And so that's why he isn't as effective as, you know, a lot of other, you know, rolling big men, even though, you know, that's the, that's the role that he's been, that's been put on him. Uh, overall though, no, you just gotta put it all on LeBron. And like, that's not even entirely what, uh, what Houston did. But going back, you know, previous finals, um, 2016 and, and last season, like Kyrie Irving was a huge part of that where, LeBron would take on a ton of the offense, and then whatever was left over, Kyrie kind of had to pick up. And so the games where they won, I think the game four where they won last season, uh, Kyrie had like, what, 41? Something like that. And that's just kind of the recipe. So coming to this season, the question was, before the Kyrie stuff, can they get a third guy to to kind of just like volume score on the Warriors outside of the offense if like that's what you need to to keep up with them? And they couldn't they they lost Kyrie they they moved backwards on that so unless like LeBron's just going to be John Henry and do the whole thing himself I don't see how that's going to work yeah in that game four that you mentioned Kyle uh from last year's finals Kyrie had 40 LeBron had 31 and Kevin Love pitched in 23 as well I'm not sure the Cavs have gotten that many combined points out of their top three scorers in any single game uh this whole playoff so I think it does speak to that lack of of maybe a second option to be able to to rely on and some of it does come down to love also you know how how right he'll be uh physically and and mentally you know in terms of the concussion symptoms that he was going through at the end of last series all right so just to pull things back to maybe the big picture uh how should we as basketball fans basketball journalists react to this quadruple rematch is are we starting to see the the basketball world really get sick of these teams at this point and this is something that is Pretty unpre- In fact, it's completely unprecedented, not just in NBA history, but in all of North American pro sports. Uh, our friends at ESPN Stats and Info ran these numbers and found that it was the first time in MLB, NBA, NFL, or NHL history that the same two teams met for the championship in four consecutive seasons. Should we be just tired of this? Is fatigue setting in with this Warriors-Cavs matchup at this point? A little bit. I mean, I was rooting, like, as a viewing interest, I was rooting for the Celtics just because it. this feels like if 2007, instead of LeBron, we got the Pistons and we had to watch Spurs Pistons again. Uh, like, I am I have very little interest in seeing the Cavs get their brains beat in. Would have very much enjoyed to see how the young Celtics got their brains beat in. Like, that, uh, it was <laughs> new and different. Basketball fans, I mean, I bet any money that we're going to see the ratings skyrocket again. I mean, they've been up and up and up, even though we've had this matchup three times in a row. I don't doubt that that'll be the case. We've got the biggest, I mean, you, you probably have maybe the three biggest names in the sport right now, all in this matchup. And that's what you got when Durant signed on the play there. And I think that's the other thing too, is that uh, generally speaking, you normally, one of the reasons that you've had this rematch so many times is that LeBron is as good as he is. And a conference that's been somewhat down and weak, you know, for a while now. But I think maybe what you would have seen, I think maybe you would have seen a team like Houston or a team like Oklahoma City or someone rise up and beat Golden State by now. But getting the infusion of Durant onto that roster kind of uh, 
restored them or renewed them in a way that made them obviously not unbeatable, but, but close to it. And, you know, you kind of have to play a perfect series to be able to beat them. And so I think at this point, you know, the Cavs change their roster every year. Obviously this year was weaker and LeBron managed to kind of work with it anyway. But I think we would have had a different matchup by now if, if the Warriors hadn't gotten Durant. I think somebody would have taken out the Warriors, but it is, it's an unusual thing. I'm kind of tired of it just because I, you know, I have a preconceived notion that the series won't be competitive. Um, it's not so much that it's the two teams that I can't stand watching. It's just that I don't want to watch a series that might end in four or five games. And I think, you know, if that's what's going to happen, that maybe, like Kyle said, seeing new blood in there would have been nice. But I love watching LeBron James for that. So I'm never going to turn down an opportunity to do that either. Yeah. So on, on that last note, uh, by, by the end of last game, I was, you know, kind of rooting for the Rockets for, for a lot of the same reasons. Also, because I think that that would have been a more competitive series, uh, for, for a bunch of, yeah. play. I think fairly obvious reasons. Um, one of my strongest takes though is the, the one that, uh, Chris got to in the middle there of like, yeah, we would have seen different blood had Durant not gone there. I think that, uh, the Cavs would have been favored, like looking at how that, that series played out last season. Even though it was a four to one series and, you know, not that competitive over five games, uh, it was competitive in moments. I think the Cavs just would have won again last season, like, which is crazy to think because, like, they were just kind of outclassed when they went down three one in 2016, uh, against, you know, a 73 win team, uh, and yet, like, looking at the way that the, the Warriors really just needed Kevin Durant last season, uh, for, to just, like, kind of, hit all kinds of contested shots. Like, if you look at the numbers back, it wasn't like they were being, you know, Warriors ball. They just started playing Kevin Durant ball, like, starting in those finals, uh, where the big thing that he gave them was, like, he was contested all the time by a Cavs defense that, like, was not really known for contesting you all the time. Uh, they stepped up and they gave you, like, an old man effort. Uh, so maybe we'll see some of that. But, uh, I don't know, this is a long way of saying, like, man, like... Kevin Durant made the NBA a little less fun. Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You can do whatever you want, fine. But like, this, it's, it's, it's less fun. But. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the, the reaction to it. But like you said, Chris, I mean, the ratings have been gangbusters. The three highest rated NBA finals since Michael Jordan retired were the previous three Cavs Warriors, uh, uh wow. series. And so probably our bosses, and we should say full disclosure, 538 is owned by ABC News and the Walt Disney Corporation. ABC will be showing the game, so they'll probably be happy about this. And I guess we still have some things in the very, very big picture, uh, left to prove between these teams. Legacy stuff for LeBron, uh, this would be another sort of you know, feather in his, in his cap as a, as a player, if he somehow engineers an upset in this, it would put the one from 2016 even to shame in comparison if you're, we're going by the odds going into the series. And, you know, it would be more fuel for the goat debates, uh, that he's having against Michael Jordan. Uh, and, and really the fact that he's been an underdog in seven of his nine finals appearances is just fascinating in general because even if he loses, you can still kind of say, well, Jordan was a favorite in all or most of his finals appearances and you can kind of cut things that way in that debate. And then uh, on the other side, you have the Warriors place as a dynasty, uh, creeping into the conversation. 
since the merger in 1976, we've only seen four teams win three titles in four years, uh, and the Warriors would join that group if they win. And maybe some of it will also be about Durant's legacy uh, if he can kind of you know recover from. And it sounds funny to say recovering from a series in which he averaged 30 points per game, which he did against the Rockets, sort of under the radar in, in some ways. But that uh, you know if he can kind of look less like this out of place part on this otherwise you know great uh, smoothly functioning Warriors machine and incorporate himself more like he did during last year's finals I think his legacy as an all-time player can only grow with the Warriors success as the team's place in history kind of rises as well so on on another like kind of high level thing is so right now uh, we're looking at 89% implied odds plus 650 is what they opened at uh I actually don't know have the line in front of me from from when this was, uh, but does this feel like a bigger uh, like kind of mountain than when they were down three one, um, or I mean I guess if you want to go way back when he was marching into the finals with uh, Matthew Delvadova and Tristan Thompson, uh, uh, whatever. But like, does this seem like a bigger uh, like a more insurmountable uh, kind of climb than than past iterations of of this thing where we've either seen LeBron you know come out on top or uh, in that 2015 series, remember, like, that game one was very close, and they went up 2-1 anyway, despite dropping it. Like, so, yeah, that easily could have been, uh, something else when, again, it looked like LeBron was marching off to death with, uh, with a team that wasn't really, uh, equipped to, to handle what they were, they, they were dealing with. That's, that's my only thing here, too, is that, you know, he, he went into a series where he had no Kyrie, no love, and so there was very little support from a scoring standpoint. In this case, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious about a couple things, I guess. Uh, one thing that happened last year that I thought was really interesting, um, he basically had to guard Durant. And it wasn't necessarily that way on the, on the flip side. Durant didn't have to guard LeBron, but did sometimes. But that sort of task, and, you know, the, the most memorable play from last year's finals was the play where Durant shoots over LeBron's outstretched arm to pretty much put a game away. And pretty much in the series, I think that was the, the play that made the series 3-0, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, if LeBron has to do that now, it's just like he's already asked to do so much. If he has to guard Durant, um, and if Durant, you know, has it the way he has it now, where he can share the responsibility with Draymond and with Steph, and, you know, God forbid they got Andrea Godala back who can take back some of that responsibility as well. And even Clay now and then, not much, but a little bit. Um, it's just so much responsibility on one person's shoulders. I think that really comes to a head when you have a finals matchup where a team is really balanced or has a lot of different stars because, you know, that that's what makes the Warriors probably the worst matchup in the league for LeBron. It's just that they've got so many people that can at least take a crack at guarding him. And on his own team, I mean, I guess you could try maybe like a Jeff Green on Durant, maybe-ish. I, I wouldn't want to. There's part of me that doesn't want to see LeBron just have to do everything by himself doesn't mean that I want him to find a way to sign with the Warriors. We also had the Chris Haynes report earlier in the season about, the, you know, maybe if they can clear the cap space that they could get a meeting with LeBron. Nobody wants to see that necessarily. But, um, you know, I, I don't particularly get excited to see LeBron have to do it all by himself when he's playing against a much, much, much more superior team uh, in a final. You know, I just – especially if it's only going to turn out to be five games worth. I, I just don't – I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm frustrated because I just feel like you want the finals to be the culmination, but I think going into this postseason, we knew that if we could get Houston and Golden State to play against each other, that might be the championship. And 
And so I won't be surprised if that's how it played out. Yeah, and we should say that you mentioned the the 3-1 deficit that uh, the Cavs pulled themselves out of against the Warriors in 2016. We don't have the number from our model, our Carmelo model, on exactly that date, June 10th. But we do have it after the following game, which the Cavs won to kind of narrow the gap but still be down 3-2. to two. And according to our model on that day, the Warriors still had a 95% chance of winning the championship. So from that perspective, the, the hole that LeBron is facing at the beginning of this particular finals is... You know, not a piece of cake compared to the one in 2016 pulling out of the 3-1 hole, but it's definitely an easier task than one that he's already pulled off in the past, just for a little context there. But, uh, and the, the additional context, I guess, would be just the death throes of the Warriors, uh, in that game seven, and even like down the stretch in that series are, uh, considerable. And they took, uh, Kevin Love stepping up and, you know, playing defense on Steph Curry at the very end, and, you know, Steph had one knee at that point, but, but still, and Kyrie just deciding, oh, I'm just going to pull up from this right wing and, you know, win the finals <laughs> on my own. And, uh, the, the, the level of support to, to get over, you know, the Warriors lashing out and being the Warriors in all caps, uh, is a lot, as, you know, a lot of teams have found out the, the Thunder, which they ins- keep insisting on, uh, not talking about around Kevin Durant, but it has to be hilarious in the locker room otherwise. Um, and uh, the Rockets this year. Okay, well, we're really excited for the series to start. It opens up at Golden State on Thursday. And that'll do it for this week's show. We're going to talk to you again on Friday with uh, a little bit of a reaction to that game one. Uh, and then we'll be back next week throughout the finals. Our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Nina Ernest. Our podcast commissioners, Chad Matlin. Keep sending us your questions and comments at podcast at 538.com. We'd love to hear from you. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are also there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to review and rate the show wherever you find it. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening and talk to you next time.